0: Everybody loves Dr. Seuss, and everyone probably has a favorite Dr. Seuss book. One of my favorite, probably the top, it's got to be in everybody's top three, is Oh, oh, the places you'll go. At the end of that book, he says, Remember, life is one great balancing act. I don't think we ever achieve balance, but I do think there is a certain balancing act for which everyone is responsible. And so we're avoiding the word balance and opting for the word level, level, which is the ability to let your values drive your desires, level, the ability to let your values shape your desires, drive your desires, to make the course corrections by your values that shape and direct your life. Because your desires really drive, don't they? They drive. Desires are the nuclear power plant of your life. And so our values need to be able to direct and course correct the way, the direction that we're driving. Desires compete with each other. Desires pull this way and that way. You know, you, you've got the desire on the one hand to get a good night's sleep, Right? But you also have that brand new bag of grassroots coffee sitting there waiting for, it, right? Desires can pull one way or the other, right? You have the desire to make more money and and yet you have the need or desire to get some rest. Desires can pull this way and that way. Values also compete. Values compete, not just desires. The value of spending time alone. The value of of solitude. The value of time with people. The value of, of the tasks that you need to accomplish this week. And the value of the important people in your life that need you to be fully present with them. Those two values. Of task and of people, that's what we're going to be dealing with this morning. Now, I heard I heard somebody say uh, recently at the global leadership conference they they had uh, been on a, a commercial jet, and on the way out, he noticed that the uh, the captains had opened the door, and uh, and they were looking in, and, and 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 this this guy telling the story he said he said. Now, how you've got all this machinery, all this incredible equipment, navigation equipment. How often, you know, what percentage of the time is what was this aircraft directly on, on its target? And he said, oh, <laughs> maybe one percent of the time. You see, the, the, the computer and, and 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 human navigation, when it's manual, is just constantly correcting the course. And so this morning, let's ask ourselves, how do we navigate between the two values of the tasks that we must accomplish and the people we're called to love? From the Word of God, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38, this uh, often read passage between These two siblings, this sibling rivalry of Martha and Mary. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, guide us today, guide us between the people we love and the important tasks of the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. How do we navigate between task and people? How do we make those course corrections? Well, the first is this, there are a couple of different a couple, couple of different points we need to attend to. We can navigate well through these competing values of people and task when we think who first and when all our what's have a who. All right? That's it. That's what we're talking about this morning. Now, I sound like Dr. Seuss, don't I? <laughs> Horton hears a who, whatever. When we put who first and when all our what's have a who. So first of all, let's let's take a look at what it means to put who first. It means to value people ahead of your tasks. Valuing people ahead of tasks. How do we do that? We do that by entering into their moment. So, again, the first part of making a course correction between task and people is to put people first. Put your who's ahead of your what's. How do you do that? By being in their moment, entering into their moment. I, I read uh, an article years ago where uh, they were studying the way that children, you know, sort of Piaget studied. Piaget studied the different levels of, of human development, and at a certain level of uh, in Piaget's, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of sequence of human development. Uh, Children are very empathetic, but they 're empathetic in a very self centered way and so if a mother is upset and crying, and a child uh, picks up on it, children can be very empathetic but more often than not, the way that a child is going to comfort his mother is to take to his mother what would comfort him so what if the if the teddy bear comforts the child, the child may empathize with the mother but he will take the teddy bear to the mother, thinking that the teddy bear is going to comfort the mother the way it would comfort him. Now, that's a very beautiful and touching story, but if we never get beyond that point, right, if we never get that beyond that point in our human development, then we, we fail to enter into other people's moment. I remember a, a TiVo commercial when TiVo first came out. Uh, uh, TiVo is that you know you can free that ability to, to freeze the frame because it's, it's recording everything that you're watching on tv and, the, and a guy's sitting there he's watching the game and his wife comes in and she starts you know pouring out the sob story about her day and uh and, and you know it's 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 a selling point because he's able to freeze the game and not miss a <laughs> not miss a moment of it yeah. fun with stereotypes right and uh, I'll never forget this because it was just so ridiculous what his response was to her. Uh, he says, almost like he just learned English, "You had a bad day," and just sort of repeated it back to her. And it goes on. It talks about the benefits of Tivo. And then later on, she she leans into the living room with her hair sort of spilling over her shoulder, and she says, "You're the most handsome man in the world right now." You see, he connected with her. You had a bad day. Okay, great. That's, uh, that's guy for uh, guy talk for I'm trying to enter into your moment, all right? In the middle of, the, of the, the game. But as funny and ridiculous as that is and how goofy that is in terms of the stereotypes of men and women, you see what's happening is he's entered into her moment. He's met her where she is. You see, something's happening like that in this passage. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. What does that mean? It means she's, she's recognizing him as a teacher. But more than that, more than that, she's submitting to the authority that he holds over her life. And she's, she's cherishing that time with him. Now, we often think of Jesus as Lord, and we worship him as Lord, and we kind of think of him as sort of out there as Lord. But Jesus was also fully man. And imagine what it's like to be in his position as a man. Jesus experienced the same emotions that we experience. And imagine what it's like to pour your life out and have nobody understand what you're in the middle of. And nobody understand the road that you're on. And nobody understand how isolating it is to be walking that road and to be walking that road alone. And here is Mary sitting at his feet. Recognizing who he really is and entering into his moment with companionship, with fellowship, with a sense of love and honor and purpose and duty. Think of how many times that Jesus enters into other people's moments when, when he calls Zacchaeus down out of the tree. He called to him and just said, you know, I, I know, here's somebody who really wants to be noticed. I'm going to notice him. I'm just going to notice him. When that woman who was caught in adultery and, and, and Jesus said the very thing to her, the words that she needed to hear to change her life. I forgive you. Now go and send no more grace and truth. Entering into her moment, understanding what she was doing and speaking words of grace and truth to her. The woman at the well, And how Jesus entered into her moment. And here is a man, the God man, fully God, fully divine, God in human flesh. We call it incarnation, the incarnation in the flesh. What Jesus is calling us to as people, life on life, is nothing less than that same incarnational ability to step into other people's moment in the flesh. To connect with people on a level that meets them where they are in their moment. How often are we running past those moments? You see, that's what Martha was doing. Her life was full of what's, full of tasks. She was anxious about many things, Jesus said. Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. You see, her what's needed a who. In other words, she needed to see the forest of people for the trees of all the tasks that are important in our day. And she had disconnected... You see, that's the word... There's a disconnect sometimes between all of the what's we have in life that we value and all the who's that we have in life that we value. There's often a disconnect there. And what Jesus isn't saying, the what's aren't important. He isn't saying the tasks aren't important. He's not saying that he doesn't appreciate the fact that, that she's showing hospitality him, getting dinner ready. What he's saying is you're, you've, you've, you've missed the connection between making dinner possible, and the people that you're serving. There's a disconnect there. You know, it's a little bit like the salesman who just thinks about his bottom line. That's all he thinks about. You think how powerful it is when you're selling something and you really believe that what you're selling is good for the person to whom you're selling it. That if you can really get behind the product you're selling, if you can really make the connection between that what and the who, boy, that's an unstoppable selling proposition right there. Because you, you really believe that, 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 that offering this product to this person, you can see the connection. It's powerful. It's motivating. It's compelling. All our what's need a who. All our what's need a who. They need to be driven. We need to have the the forest of the who's in our life, of the people in our life, for the trees of the tasks of our life. John Orkberg makes the point in his book, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted, that he often experiences this disconnect between the what and the who of his life. He envisions himself as a father as super dad, as, as this, this great figure in his children's life, the ideals that he had, and then how the day really went. He says this, As they sleep at night, I can think of the father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until tears flow, and then I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to teach them how to resolve conflict. And he goes on and on to show this disconnect between the ideal of the relationship of fatherhood and the task of fathering daily. And I remember when, uh, when our, our older kids were really, really young and I remember just being really tired at the end of the day and reading one of those Dr. Seuss books, right? And I and I remember thinking, you know, if I skip a couple pages, they won't notice, right? <laughs> Maybe if I just kind of and then Horton, then Horton, all of a sudden, grew his ears back. Uh, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. And so I'm I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm flipping a few pages, and you, if if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've done this. Don't judge me. All right. So I, I'm like, there there are a few pages, and then I remember, I remember so often. Like one of them would say, hey, that's not what comes next, <laughs> right? right? Like they memorized all these books. I remember a, a couple of times when we were building these towers, these great towers of all the toys in the entire living room. And, and we're, we're building this great tower. And, and then, you know, one of them would come crashing into it. And it was like, man, that took like 10 minutes to build that tower. Gone. I can't wait till they go to bed so I can really build this tower and see how high I can get it. (laughs) I actually thought that. And there were so many times they go to bed and I think, I'm not going to build a stinking tower. What what am I thinking? This is ridiculous. I'm going to clean all these things up with some big toy rake and and try to sit down, you know? (laughs) You see the disconnect between the what's of life and the who's that are important. We often fail to connect the tasks of the day and the people that are so important to us. That's what Martha is, is is experiencing. It's not that Jesus doesn't value what she's doing. It's just that she had lost the connection between the what and the who. And and if you if you look back at what she's saying, she's she's saying to Jesus, she's asking a question. She's trying to show Jesus hospitality, right? And now she's saying, I want you to put on a referee shirt and a, uh, and a whistle now, Jesus. And help me with my relationship with my this sibling rivalry that I have. Oh, that's great hospitality. That's great. Yeah, just bring me into your little domestic feud. When I'm, I'm tired, I'm weary, you're supposed to be showing me hospitality. She totally misses The moment for Jesus, a human being, somebody who's weary, somebody who's on the road, who has no home, who's giving everything for us, and she's lost the joy of serving. You see, Mary could be sitting at Jesus' feet and and soaking in the teaching. Martha could be fully engaged in loving what she's doing if she connected the who to the what. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all things in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. You see, Martha didn't have to stop and sit at Jesus' feet in order to honor him, in order to enter into his moment. She just needed to be able to connect the tasks of her life with the important who of her life, especially that one who that defines your life. That one who. You see, that's, that's in part and in whole what we're here on this planet to do is to learn how to honor God. You look at the, the scriptures from beginning from Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's the summary of the entire book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. The whole point of the tree, right? The whole point of don't eat of this tree, right? Is all about honoring God and what he's saying. And saying, I'm in a relationship to you and you are over me. I am under your authority and greatest freedom is found there under that authority. Moses, Moses begins his great psalm, Psalm 90. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You see, we have to get that right. If we're going to connect our what's and our who's, we have to get the first and primary who squared away in our lives. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks, the world and the ages. And so it's, it's a matter of understanding that who has to come before what, and every what needs a who, Right? So how do we choose well then? How do we choose well? When we're talking about staying level between these two different competing values, sometimes it's a constant course correction, right? It's that one, pr- you, 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 you are, you're never going to be level, right? You're never going to be balanced, but life is one great balancing act. And so we are constantly trying to adjust. When we, when we are on course, we're constantly adjusting, right? Home needs a little bit more. Work needs, needs, needs a little bit more. Homework needs to be done. And then the sports need to be done. And, and, and you're, you're, you're constantly adjusting. You're seeing what buckets are leaking and what, what ones need to be filled, right? But first and foremost, first and foremost, apart from this constant adjusting, we must remember who first you may be sitting here this morning realizing that there are, you're a little bit off balance right between your tasks and your people you may be sitting here this morning and you really need to take a significant detour like mary she laid everything down she laid everything down in order to honor jesus you know we as presbyterians we say we do everything decently and in order right <laughs> my uncle, my uncle, he's six six five, you know, tall, gravelly-voiced, pipe-smoking Navy man, right? He never tired of that joke. He was a Presbyterian's president. He was the head usher in Bethesda, Maryland. He was the head usher. I mean, he wore that like a crown, right? And he did everything decently in order. You know, Timmy said, you know, when you're coming to, to ministry. You know, you're going to be a Presbyterian. That means Presbyterian ministers are the... Are, are the head of the game when it comes to doing everything decently in order. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Decently and in order. You know, there may, be, there may be a call to you this morning to do something that requires a significant detour, to honor God in your life the way which is commensurate with who he is in the universe. Not decently in order, but a timeout, a detour, to turn around, to get off balance for a while and just spend some time with Him. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, one of the things I heard um, people saying after I got here was, and, and it's a, a form of decently in order, we want to make sure that everything we do is appropriate kept using that word. I kept hearing that word appropriate. First picture. Everything needs to be appropriate. Make sure it's appropriate. Is it appropriate? It's appropriate. Now, I hear moms using this word a lot. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. And I wonder, almost like Indigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> what does this mean, appropriate? When you're talking about the God of the universe, I think about somebody like Beethoven. I think about was he thinking decent in order, decently and in an order? Was he th- being appropriate when he, when he came up with the fifth symphony? I'm mean, just wondering if you're lacking passion in your life for God. Maybe just little course corrections between task and 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 people isn't what you're called to today. Yes, we need to be on course. Yes, we need to be constantly adjusting but who first, who first is square one?